As Americans grow weary of funding endless wars overseas, Democrat warmongers have raised the stakes. In a Senate briefing yesterday, Democrat Senator Jack Reed told Joe Biden's Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, quote, In one sense, this comes down to a choice between lending Ukraine the tools to do the job or seeing young Americans facing combat. To which our Defense Secretary, Lloyd Austin, replied, I agree, Senator. To which I respond, how about we do neither? How about that? I'm not a senator, not the defense secretary, but makes sense to me. War is on a lot of people's minds these days as the war in Ukraine approaches its third year with no end in sight, and the new war in the Middle East completes its third week, also with no end in sight. War is a fact of human affairs. There always seems to be some war somewhere for some reason. And sometimes there are world wars for lots of reasons. But we don't need to fight in every war. Not every war needs to be our war. I've been thinking about this more seriously of late than I ever have, probably because I have two little boys. And I am now firmly of the opinion that I will oppose any politician who in any way thinks it is a good idea to send my boys or any other American boys overseas to go fight for abstractions in Ukraine or Israel or any other hotspot that tickles the fancy of the self-styled grand strategists in Washington, D.C. There is no vital American interest at stake in either Ukraine or Israel. I like both countries. I have immense pity for the innocent people harmed in the wars. But these types of wars are not new. Both countries are currently fighting the latest stages of territorial wars that have persisted throughout many centuries, more than a millennium in the case of Ukraine and multiple millennia in the case of the Holy Land. I'm not opposed in principle to funding allies. But as Democrats and the Washington Uniparty broadly lose the blank check for the wars, they are presenting a false dichotomy. They claim that the choice is either funding the fighting or sending your sons to fight and maybe die themselves. Reject the false dichotomy. America has plenty of vital interests. Becoming enmeshed in intractable, endless wars is not among them. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. There's a new fella on the block who demands being called ma'am at a restaurant. Uh, we will get to that very important breaking TikTok story. First, though, speaking of Israel's war funding, the hits just keep coming from the new speaker, the Republican speaker of the House of Representatives, because we're, we're about to enter into a period on, of debate over the war in Ukraine and the war in Israel and potentially a war over Taiwan with China. And, and as we debate the funding, I, I have no problem funding allies as they fight wars when it is in America's national interest. And there will be a robust debate over whether or not such funding is in America's interest. But when the warmongering uniparty tries to threaten you, that's what it is. It's threatening you. It's saying, hey, give us your money or we're going to go send your boys to die overseas for wars of abstractions that don't touch on vital American interests. That needs to be rejected outright. 
And those politicians who would dare do such a thing need to be thrown out of Washington, D.C. and out of public life. Now, the new Speaker of the House of Representatives, this Republican Mike Johnson, he is a much wiser man than all of that. And while he is pushing for funding, for funding Israel at least, and you'll notice not quite funding the war in Ukraine, notice how he does it. Any sense of the number of Democrats who you think might come? I hope that it's most or all of them. I mean, there's a few people who have philosophical differences on that, and we'll have some intense debates about their opposition to that. But look, this is a matter of good versus evil. I I think what Prime Minister Netanyahu said just a couple of days ago is exactly right. It's good versus evil. It's light versus darkness. We're going to have pay-fors in it. Um, We're not just going to print money and send it overseas because the other concern we have that is overriding this is our own strength as a nation, which is tied to our fiscal stability. And that's a big problem that we have as well. We have to keep it in mind as we try to help everyone else. How is it going to be paid for? Um, we're going to be releasing that here shortly, but okay. um, we, we, my intention and my desire in the first uh, draft of this bill is to take some of the money that has been set aside for the IRS, building and bulking up the IRS right now. They have about $67 billion in that fund, and we'll, we'll try to take the 14.5 necessary for this immediate and urgent need. We'll deal with the rest of that issue later. This is a clever guy. This is a really, really clever guy. First, he says, we're going to fund the war in Israel. We're going to fund our ally Israel. We got to get this done right away because Israel faces an existential threat, a new war of independence. So he's bringing this issue to the floor, which will split the Democrats. It's a wedge issue for the Democrats. The elite, you can't call them, they're not all that moderate, but moderate by Democrat standards, people, they're going to support Israel. The radical leftist young Democrats are going to oppose Israel because they support Palestine and and probably support Hamas, a lot of them. Uh, That's a good wedge issue to hit the Democrats on, get them on the record. Uh, It's going to be a loser either way. Either they're going to vote with Israel and lose their base, or they're going to vote against Israel and lose their donors and the more clubbable members of the Democrat Party. Either way, though, they lose something. So politically, that's very clever. It's also clever because by rushing the Israel funding, you decouple Israel funding from Ukraine. The Ukraine funding is deeply unpopular. Most Americans don't want to fund that war. Probably most Americans are fine funding Israel. Uh, So it's it's a nice way to split those things off there. And then this guy manages to score a third win here, which is, he says, look, we have to be fiscally responsible, of course. We need to offset this funding. Yeah, I agree. We're not just going to have the money printer go burr and give that money overseas for intractable land wars. No, no. We need to offset it. How about we pull it from the IRS? And he even picked the perfect government agency to take it from. Because if he said, I want to take it from the EPA or the Department of Education or any other of these bloated federal agencies that that don't do very much good and and do a lot of harm. Some people are going to say, well, I like the environment. Don't defund the EPA. Somebody's going to say, well, I like education. Don't defund the education agency. Don't do that, please. But everyone hates the IRS. Everyone hates the IRS. Everyone hates paying taxes. Everyone knows (laughs) that the IRS is bloated. The fact that they've just added many, many new IRS agents, some of whom are apparently going to have guns uh, to come and take more of our money. That's the perfect one to pull it from. And so it'll probably still get shot down, certainly by Joe Biden, but even by a lot of Democrats in the House. But it'll get those Democrats on the record. I think this new speaker is a pretty clever guy. And the libs, hate him. They hate him so much. The libs kind of like John Boehner 
The Libs kind of like Paul Ryan. The Libs are a little less favorable, but still are not, don't, they don't totally hate Kevin McCarthy. The Libs have probably forgotten about how much they hated Newt Gingrich. So they're, they're okay with Newt Gingrich broadly, I think. But this guy, Mike Johnson, they hate him. Here's the big scoop from liberal David Korn over at Mother Jones. The scoop is that Mike Johnson is such a crazy religious fanatic right winger that he urged a religious test for politicians. I'm just going to read verbatim what, what Mother Jones writes. Though Johnson is now second in the line of presidential succession, we're still finding out basic and important facts about him and how he sees the world. This includes his alarming record as a hardcore conservative cultural warrior. Great. Motivated by a Christian fundamentalist belief. I'm not a fundamentalist per se, but broadly speaking, yeah, that's good. Christian belief. That's very good. Who has fiercely opposed gay rights. Here we go. All right. We're talking now, baby. Uh, Comparing homosexuality to pedophilia. Uh, Called for a total nationwide ban on abortion. Great. Proposed the end of no-fault divorce. Awesome. Urged to return to 18th century values. Mm. I, I guess the only reason I don't like that as much is I would prefer a return to 13th century values. But 18th century values, I guess, would be an improvement. Mother Jones goes on. One more significant thing I've discovered is that Johnson appears to have to believe in a religious litmus test for politicians. Now, hold on. This part actually could be unconstitutional. The, the Constitution is very clear. There will be no religious test for public office. So has Mike Johnson here veered into some unconstitutional advocacy? Well, what does he mean by a religious litmus test? Mother Jones goes on. Johnson and his wife, Kelly Johnson, a self-described Christian counselor, a few years ago created a seminar that promoted the premise that the U.S. has been a Christian nation. Well, that, that's just obviously true. All of the great statesmen in American history have said that exact thing, going back to the Pilgrims and Plymouth Rock in 1620, going to Governor Winthrop, a model of Christian charity, going to the Founding Fathers who invoked God all the time, going to John Adams who, who said that the morality of America will be the Christian morality, to, who said that the Constitution is built for a moral and religious people by which he meant a Christian people. John Jay, who said that we shouldn't even elect non-Christians, but you know, obviously the Constitution prohibited a religious test. Much could be said about that. And, but all the, going all the way up to to Ronald Reagan, who said that America is a shiny city on a hill, going up to our Pledge of Allegiance, going up to all of American public life. We're obviously a Christian country. So is that what they mean? No, he goes on. Uh, Mother Jones says, the Johnsons are diehard fundamentalists who believe every religion other than their brand of Christianity is false. Yes, that's what, that's what having a religion means. If, <laughs> that's what having a belief in anything means. Forget, even put religion aside for a second. If you believe in a certain conception of physics, then you believe that every other conception of physics is false. If you believe in the uh, heliocentric model of the cosmos, then you think that the geocentric model and all the other ones that contradict the heliocentric model are false. That's just called the law of non-contradiction. If you believe something, then you disbelieve in things that contradict the thing that you believe in. That's not unique to Mike Johnson's brand of fundamentalist Christianity. That's not unique to Christianity. That's not unique. To, it's, that's called thinking and having a belief in anything, about anything. But then they get down to it, okay? They get down to what Mike Johnson has done that violates 
the prohibition against a religious test. First, though, just as, as Mother Jones says that Mike Johnson doesn't look very good, when you want to look good, you got to check out GenuCell. Right now, go to GenuCell.com slash Knowles. Our friends over at GenuCell have launched a new product called GenuCell 3, which works fast on your under-eye bags and puffiness. GenuCell 3 uses advanced technology to deliver complex vitamins and minerals directly to your face for instant hydration. It's like Gatorade for your skin. This new GenuCell technology keeps your skin looking young and healthy for years to come. The GenuCell Fall Classics Package also includes a jawline treatment for a more firm neck and jawline. It also includes GenuCell's anti-wrinkle moisturizer and deep firming serum. Of course, any GenuCell luxury box is not complete without the great GenuCell XV Anti-Wrinkle Moisturizer and their world-famous deep firming serum. Get your skin ready for the cold and dry weather. If you do not look and feel your absolute best, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Go to GenuCell.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, or you can call 800-SKIN-211 for extra discounts on this amazing fall package. Get results in 12 hours or less. The immediate effects are included for free. GenuCell.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, or call 800-SKIN-211. S-K-I-N-211. Okay, here it is. This is what Mother Jones says is so terrifying about the new Republican Speaker of the House. This is the proof that he wants a religious litmus test for public office. Right, so you better sit down. Any candidate, this is what Mike, Mike Johnson has said, you better sit down any candidate who says they're going to run for legislature and say, I want to know what your worldview is. I want to know what, to know what you're thinking about the Christian heritage of this country. I want to know what you think about God's design for society. Have you ever thought about that? If they hadn't thought about it, you need to move on and find somebody who has. We have too many people in government who don't know any of this stuff. They haven't even thought about it. So that's, that's Mike Johnson's advice to voters. Mike Johnson tells voters, hey, you should vote for people who think like me, not people who disagree with how I think. So Mike, Mike Johnson just told voters what every single politician has always told voters, regardless of party or belief. The proof that he's totally unacceptable and unconstitutional and evil and scary is that he says the same things that every politician has always said. Hmm. Hmm. That's, that's, that's not a very strong case, is it? Now, gearing in here on what those substantive beliefs beliefs are, we look at all of them. They're, they're just, they're generally pretty great. Is this, guy, is this guy the greatest speaker of the house we've ever had? I know he's only been in office for about five minutes now, but this guy seems right on the money. As all the squish Republicans, all the so-called conservatives decide that they're going to make their biggest fight defending the Democrat status quo of five years ago. You've got this guy who's just saying true things, things that have been true forever and that will always be true, and he's not afraid to say it. This guy seems terrific. This guy, I'm, I'm sure he'll disappoint me, or I fear that he'll disappoint me, like all politicians disappoint us. But generally speaking, I think this guy's terrific. I'm very, I'm very pro-Mike Johnson. Because Mike Johnson's very pro-God, and that's good. I like that. Speaking of God, Matthew Perry, rest in peace, uh, He's going around the internet in all of these clips of him and some of his final days and years. And there's one clip that's particularly poignant where Matthew Perry is discussing what he thinks about God. I was put on a thing called an ECMO machine, which you having read the book, you would know what that is. Yes. But it's a, it's, 
<laughs> no, I did. I took notes. I underlined it. Say, oh, no, I believe you. Um, but they call that a Hail Mary. That's what they do right. when uh, they put you on an ECMO machine when it's a Hail Mary. And five people were on ECMO that night, and the other four died, and, and I somehow made it. Well, um, what God is a, is a fan. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know you're feeling about that. Um, <laughs> but I... I <laughs> Well, I know that, I'm a fan. Maybe I'm okay. Uh, I, but, I know that uh, once you've referred to it as a force, and you know, it, I believe I believe that I believe that a higher power. There is a higher power. Right. I believe I've a well, very close relationship with him that's helped me a lot. And somebody's uh, on your side. Yeah. This is really nice. I, some people are going to recoil just a little bit from Matthew Perry using this vague language of a higher power. But first of all, he's talking to Bill Maher, who's one of the most famous atheists in the country. So I think he's just trying to get through to him a little bit. It's not a debate that they're having. He's just trying to convey this here. And then even when he says, look, you've talked about like a force, Bill. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I believe in. And I think I have a close relationship with him. So there you see, he tips his hand. He's not talking about some abstract force. He's talking about a personal God. And he says, I think I have a close relationship with him. And that has helped me a lot. And I, I don't doubt him. I didn't read Matthew Perry's book. Drew read it. And after he read it, he called me or I saw him. He said, he was like, you got to read Matthew Perry's book. I said, what? <laughs> Why? He said, it's really poignant. It's, it's, it's just, it, it's so illuminating. And he, he described a scene in Perry's life from the book. It was the first time Perry prayed. He apparently said, please, God, make me famous. You can do anything you want to me. Just make me famous. And three weeks later, the guy gets cast in Friends, one of the biggest TV shows of all time. And God God did not forget about it. This reminds me of a famous verse of scripture, which is ask and it shall be given to you. Which is why you've got to be careful of what you ask for. Because... uh, when we make an idol out of something and we desire that thing above all things, we get it. And and then we're the dog that caught the car. And sometimes that thing is not for our flourishing. It's not been in our best interest. And sometimes that thing can destroy us. That happens all the time with fame in Hollywood. I'm not sure that I can name, I know a lot of very successful actors because I lived in LA for a long time and been around show business a little bit. And I don't know that I could name a single happy one. Maybe, maybe a handful of exceptions. Maybe. And I'm talking successful guys. I'm not talking about unsuccessful guys. You've got to be very, very careful for what you wish for. There have been things that I've desired in life that I haven't gotten, that I was really upset about that I didn't get. And then in retrospect, I think, oh, that would have ruined my life had I gotten that. My life is so much better now because God had a better plan than I did. And so I, Matthew Perry said, and apparently in some of his final days, he said, I know that when I die, I'm just going to be remembered as Chandler being from Friends. But I hope I'm remembered for more than that and just how I've tried to help people and helped addicts and things like that. And uh, that might be true. He, he probably won't. He'll, he'll be remembered as Chandler Bing. But he might be remembered for some of these poignant things. I mean, the fact that his book was such a big hit and it was so helpful and it, it came out just shortly before he died. Uh, that's good. And it's a consolation that, that the guy had a, a relationship with God. You know, we, we hope that everyone comes into the fullness of truth, but any little step in the right direction is hopeful. And it's why 
especially troubled people can be uh, great guides for the rest of us because we, we see the logical consequences of vice and sin. They know it better than anybody. You know, and, and so they're, they're often the ones who are some of the best evangelists. So anyway, worth, worth praying for Matthew Perry and a really, uh, really poignant end to uh, an unexpected end to a career that's basically known for some catchphrases from a 90s sitcom. Now, speaking of things that uh, really matter, you know, we all want to store our gold up in heaven, um, but we have to take care of the body and things while we're here on this earth. And so when you want gold here on earth, you got to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. Yet again, we are facing the threat of a government shutdown later this month. And yet again, the administration will ultimately deal with it the same way they always do with more spending. More spending equals a lower value of the dollar. Protect your savings by diversifying your savings into gold with the help of the Birch Gold Group. Here's the best part. When you open a gold IRA with Birch Gold, for every $10,000 you spend by December 22nd, Birch Gold will send you a free gold bar. Just text Knowles, Canada WLAS, to 989898 to claim eligibility before Black Friday. Birch Gold can even help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold for no money out of pocket. And you still get the free gold bars. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. Don't let your savings become a victim of the further devaluation of the dollar through more spending. Text Knowles, Canada WLAS, to 989898 to receive a free info kit on gold and claim your eligibility before Black Friday to receive free gold bars on your qualifying purchase. That is Knowles, Canada WLAS, to 989898. Faith Moore, Drew Clavin's very talented daughter, has written a new rendition of the age-old Christmas classic, A Christmas Carol, except this time it's with a K. It's a modern twist on the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, except with a female protagonist. In a world where boss babes are championed at the expense of family, Faith is making the case that having what matters is far better than having it all. A Christmas Carol, now available for pre-order, order yours on Amazon or wherever you get your books today. Speaking of troubled people, a top advisor to Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky is reportedly saying that Ukraine officials are stealing that aid money that we're all sending over to them like there is no tomorrow. Speaking anonymously to Time magazine, this person who reportedly is a top presidential advisor to Zelensky said that the Ukraine government is powerless to stop this kind of corruption. He says, uh, people are stealing like there's no tomorrow and Officials do not feel any fear of engaging in corruption because the firing of the corrupt former minister of defense took over six months and it's, it just it didn't really matter that much. So they don't have any fear at all. And this really matters, not because any corruption whatsoever is evidence that we need to cut off all aid and you know let the dogs devour them, but because it suggests that Ukraine is not capable of winning this war and sustaining the peace. I've never understood the argument that Ukraine was capable of beating Russia in the long run. I've never, other than the United States occupying Ukraine and fighting the war for them. I've never seen anything even resembling a military analysis that would suggest that Ukraine could win the war and sustain the peace. And part of the reason for that is the longstanding problem of corruption in the Ukraine government. These guys are willing to just steal 
from the aid money. Rather than put it into bullets and guns and weapons and support for the citizens of Ukraine, they're going to keep stealing because it's been a kleptocracy for a very long time. And this is a problem for us when we consider our investment in Ukraine, especially in light of the problems in Afghanistan. The, the most shocking thing about the withdrawal from Afghanistan for a lot of people was not even that horrific attack on the base that left Americans dead, left a lot of Afghanis dead, just as the U.S. was pulling out. It wasn't even that we left billions of dollars worth of military equipment there, just abandoned it, ended up going to the Taliban. Now it's probably being used in the the war in the Holy Land. The, The most shocking thing for a lot of people was that the Afghan National Army never put up a fight. The minute that the Afghan National Army, which we spent decades training, funding, fighting alongside, the minute that they had to fight on their own. They folded within hours. They just abandoned their posts, abandoned their weapons, abandoned their uniforms. They were done. They didn't want to fight. And if you had ever read any of the reports coming out of Afghanistan, especially from the uh, uh, Special Inspector General for Afghan Reconstruction, CIGAR, which coincidentally was the name of my college cigar club, the Society for Intellectual Growth and Reinvigoration. Also, CIGAR spelled the same way. That's why I would get a lot of notifications for the uh, Special Inspector General. Uh, If you ever read those reports, you would see the problems with the Afghan National Army were so obvious. One, they lied about the size of the army because they, they artificially inflated the numbers so that they could get more military aid. You would hear reports from American soldiers of these Afghan soldiers just being high all the time on poppy and heroin. And it wouldn't really do very much. And they would, they would sometimes engage in friendly fire. And it was just, it was not, I don't mean to besmirch the Afghan National Army. I'm sure there were plenty of brave fighters there too. But the, the Afghan National Army as a whole was never going to work. It was never going to sustain the peace. And so Afghanistan was always going to fall the minute America pulled out. So the, the only options were occupy Afghanistan indefinitely and just make it the 51st state or make it an overseas territory or American colony or pull out and give it up to the Taliban the second we leave. But those were the choices. And to somewhat of a lesser degree, though not much of a lesser degree, that seems to be the case in Ukraine. Whenever we stop funding this war, the war is over. And it might not be on terms that we like, might not be on terms that are, are happy for Ukraine. But the, the Ukrainians cannot fight on their own. And with corruption like this, it's hard to see how they could govern on, on their own, even if they managed to stop the invasion from Russia. Speaking of American affairs overseas, Governor Patrick Bateman, doing business as Gavin Newsom of California, has taken a trip to China because he's obviously running for president. He's pretending that he's there on some climate initiative for California, but he's just there to meet with Xi Jinping to position himself as a potential president. And uh, as part of his trip, he decided to play a basketball game with some nice little Chinese boys. And he decided uh, when one of them was challenging his hoops a little bit too much that he would tackle one of the boys. So you see here, Governor Bateman, he's dribbling, trying to spin it on his finger. That didn't work. He's trying to spin it. Okay, he spins a little bit again. Dribbling around, does a little twist, does a little turn, and then he just tackles this Chinese boy. <laughs> he got in his way, and then he, Newsom recovers pretty well. They're they're laughing, you know. He kind of pats the kid on the back, hugs him a little. So he's a good politician, Gavin Newsom. But he just destroyed that little Chinese. That little Chinese child got just a couple inches in the way of something that Gavin Newsom wanted. In this case, winning a basketball game. And Newsom just wrecked this kid, took him to the pavement. Can you even imagine what he's going to do to Joe Biden? If Gavin Newsom is willing to do this 
to a Chinese child to win a basketball game. What is he going to do to geriatric Joe Biden to win the presidency? A lot more than tackle him, I bet. That guy, that guy is ruthless. Ruthless. Now, speaking of psychopathy, it's, it's that time of the month for a man in a dress to make a nuisance of himself and yell at people and demand that they call him ma'am. This seems to recur with some frequency. And here we have it again. Some fella who's, who goes to restaurants and then he records himself berating waiters and waitresses and restaurant managers for not indulging in his ridiculous fantasy that he's a woman. Looks like uh, he's having a uh, nice feast. Yeah. She, all she, she, her. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. It's all good. But it was not all good. Hi. I use she, her pronouns. I'm not sir. Oh, so sorry. Yeah, like it, it, it's like a knife in the heart. I also, I did specifically ask ahead of time not to be called sir. Yeah, I'm just going to go. Okay. The sweet water starts at, okay. Not, not. I'm so sorry. I apologize. It's just always like a knife. It always hurts every single time. I was wondering if there's a manager I could talk to about something that happened. Yeah, I, I was called sir. Oh. <laughs> it just really sucks every time it happens. I don't need to be called ma'am. I just need to not be called sir, you know? Thank you. Did you call me sir? I, I just want to tell you that the person who gave me this called me sir. Hmm. Called me sir. Oh. It's just like, it kind of just hurts a lot to get called sir. It hurts. Why do you think people keep calling you sir? Why, do you know, what an amazing degree of navel-gazing. It's the meme from The Simpsons is what this is, where this guy goes out into the world and every single person reacts to him in a certain way, in the same way. But he says, no, you're all wrong. I don't want you to react to me that way. The thing that you're saying about me is not true. What is more likely that every single person that this man meets is wrong or that he is wrong? Which is more likely? It's the meme from The Simpsons of Principal Skinner doing a little bit of soul searching. He says, is it possible that I'm out of touch? No, the children must be wrong. (laughs) No, it must be everybody else. It could not possibly be that I am wrong or that I have any defect of intellect or will. And what this is about, moving on from the intellect to the will, is not even that he thinks that he's a woman. He knows that he's not a woman. It's, it's the willfulness. It's the desire to berate these people, to, to make a scene. It's, it's the power that he can lord over these waiters and waitresses, these people who don't make a ton of money, who have relatively little power within their professional life. And this guy gets off on berating them and making them feel small and powerless. That's the fetish. That's, the, that's a part of it. I'm sure there's more to it. But a big part of it, it, beyond the dressing up and the putting on the makeup and looking like a maniac, a big part of this fetish is lording power over people and saying, you will lie. You will lie for me. You do it. Just do what I say. Do what I say. And if you don't do what I say, I'm going to call the manager. I'm going to get you fired. You will, when you have to choose between reality and me, you're going to pick me. When you have to choose between 
telling the truth and lying for me, you're going to lie for me. That's what, that's what this man is demanding. And because the whole thing just is a sexual fetish, that at its most basic level, that's what this is, uh, that's very likely part of it. Power is, power is a great aphrodisiac, as uh, Henry Kissinger famously said. It's a good argument as to why we shouldn't indulge these kinds of things anymore, either, at all, in public life. We ought to drive out the whole ideology, <laughs> eradicate it entirely from public life, from top to bottom, for the good of society, and especially for the good of people like this. No one's helping this guy by indulging his uh, intellectual and willful defects. Is there any wonder, looking at something like that, that people want to withdraw from the mainstream liberal culture? It's true in entertainment. That's true in the news media. People have found alternatives all over the place. It's true in, in political candidates. You saw, you saw the dam start to break, especially with the nomination of Donald Trump, who came out of left field, who was totally different from the kinds of Republican candidates we'd seen in my whole lifetime. You're seeing it a little bit with the Democrats. Bobby Kennedy Jr. polling around 20% would be an example of that. And you're seeing it especially in education. And the Washington Post is trying to figure this out. Since COVID especially, more and more people have been taking their kids out of the schools, mostly the public schools, even some of the private schools, and homeschooling them. And homeschooling, especially when I was a kid, homeschooling was a thing that just those weird conservative Christians did. That's not the sort of thing that normal, posh, clubbable people would do. Well, well now... A lot of people are homeschooling. Why is this? The Washington Post has just engaged in an examination of this. They say, we're trying to figure it out. Number one, even as the pandemic eased, homeschooling persisted. So they tried it out because of COVID, but then they stuck with it. They didn't just send the kids back to school when the schools reopened. Homeschooling comes off as fringe. Well, it used to be. Fringe. Now that is no longer the case. Homeschooling is on the rise in all sorts of places, not just down south, not just in those hillbilly, deplorable, irredeemable countries of the Trump boat and whatever the liberals think. It's all over the place. Religion is no longer the the sole driver of it. Used to be just Christian conservatives. Now people who are not conservative, people who are not Christian, are sending their kids to or, or keeping their kids home and homeschooling them also. Homeschoolers are more diverse than ever, racially, and across all sorts of demographics. And then here's an interesting one. Parents do less and less of the teaching, meaning they'll they'll form little pods with different families, and sometimes they'll form even miniature schools. And then that will, but but it will be separate from a public school, and it'll be separate even from the, the private schools. So what does this mean? It means this is the fastest growing part of the U.S. education system, as even the Washington Post found. And it means that it'll probably persist. But that last part, I think, is key here because I'd compare it to Airbnb. Remember, people used to stay at these things called hotels and motels. That's where, if you were out of town and traveling somewhere and you needed a place to stay, you'd stay at what was called a hotel or a motel. Then Airbnb came around and a lot of people said, wow, I don't need to stay at a hotel anymore. I don't need to pay all sorts of fees. I can, you know, just stay in some guy's house or his apartment. Maybe he's got an extra apartment and I'll just pay him and I can use all of his facilities. It's kind of fun and it's a little cheaper and it's, wow, this is cool. But then Airbnb started adding cleaning fees and started adding this fee and that fee and putting limits on how you could use it and what time you checked in. And all of a sudden, 
it didn't seem to be such a great value anymore. And so people started returning to hotels and motels. I could see the same thing happening for homeschooling if homeschooling is not driven by an ideological or religious motive. If it's just because people got a little freaked out during COVID and they lost some respect for the teacher unions and they saw some weird stuff their kids were being taught, but they don't deeply object to it. They just thought it was kind of weird. And if they just, they kind of grow these homeschools from their homes to their communities to these miniature schools, and all of a sudden it's lots of different families, at a certain point, you're just going to, you've just created a small school and you're just going to go back to the old kind of schooling. Unless you've got a strong ideological motive or religious motive for it. If you've got, if you've got a, a strong driver of why you're not going to send your kids to a public school, or even many of the private schools are infected, that I think is where it's going to persist. So it will have been mainstreamed. It will be more diverse. It will be in all parts of the country. Homeschooling is the way that people were schooled for most of human history. The notion of widespread public school, that's the experiment. That's the new thing. So homeschooling is going to be mainstreamed. But if people lose the, the strong motivations for why they would homeschool, at a certain point, they'll pro- those, those groups will probably just return to the regular old public or private schooling method. My favorite comment yesterday is from Chuck Mowry, 5951, who says, I see YouTube is still doing the COVID-19 flag thing. They do realize what the 19 stands for, right? Yeah, <laughs> we're perpetually in 2019. We're never going to get out of 2019. They're not, because if they called it COVID-23, they would have to admit that they haven't really fixed anything. And they, they would, it would also seem a little odd. Why does COVID keep cropping up only right before presidential election years? Isn't that kind of strange? wonder why that is. Now, speaking of schools, Cornell just issued an emergency alert for uh, Jewish students. So uh, they issued this alert. Cornell Hillel, a Jewish center, says they are aware of a threatening statement that was directed toward the building at 104 West, which houses the university's kosher and multicultural dining hall, as well as more generally toward Jewish students, faculty, and staff. The Cornell University administration has been made aware of the concerning language, and the Cornell Police Department is monitoring the situation and is on site with additional security as a precaution. At this time, we advise that students and staff avoid the building out of an abundance of caution. We will continue to provide updates as additional information becomes available. Uh, Very bad stuff. Now, part of this was made online, so it could be a hoax. I'm not, I don't think it's a hoax of Jewish students saying this about themselves. I don't think so. That has happened. That sort of thing has happened. Often when there are anti-black statements written on a wall or, or uh, the white supremacist symbols or that, that has often been a hoax in recent years, especially. In fact, I document a whole slew of them in my book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. Thank you. Same thing goes for anti-woman, you're threatening what is called rape culture statements. Those have often proved to be hoaxes. There haven't been a ton in recent American memory of Jewish students doing these things about themselves. And we've seen a huge spike in anti-Jewish attacks and rhetoric. So I, I, I think it could be, I don't think it would be them doing it to themselves, but I could see it being sort of a hoax because it was online and people online make all sorts of comments that, that don't really have any bearing in, in reality. But if I were the Jewish students at Cornell, I would, I would hunker down. I would take it very, very seriously. The timing of this is a little odd because I am going to Cornell on Monday. 
I was invited to speak at Cornell. A lot of the schools this semester, some of which are very prominent schools, have been dragging out the contracts because the students want me to come, but the administrations don't want me to come. Uh, So we haven't announced a lot of my speaking tour this semester. This one we're announcing last minute, but it's been the works for a while that I'll be going to Cornell. And I don't know what it is. I keep going to these schools when the terrorists show up. So I was at Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh last semester, and I showed up when Antifa was threatening to harm all sorts of people and burn me an effigy on the street and threw an explosive at the building right as I went to walk on stage. And and now I'm showing up to Cornell days after they're threatening to uh, kill the Jews. So I, I guess that, I guess that'll help af- form my talk. Initially, I was thinking about speaking on, I don't know, some of the, the false premises of enlightenment liberalism. I could talk about the political philosophy of Donoso Cortez. I find that interesting. But I guess now I'll have to narrow it down to, actually, you shouldn't kill all the Jews. That would be, that's one potential title. Uh, maybe um, you don't, in fact, have to hand it to Hamas. Maybe that, that's a good title. Uh, I don't know. I got, but, but I've got my work cut out for me. And anyway, if you're around Ithaca next Monday, I will see you there. Speaking of close encounters, Goldie Hawn, you know, actress Goldie Hawn, little, little bit eccentric. Goldie Hawn has claimed that not only has she seen UFOs, but she's actually encountered them and they touched her face. So Goldie Hawn is in the camp of Matt Walsh on the aliens question. Uh, the uh, serious th- theologians and philosophers and rational people throughout all of history, are they're in my camp on the alien question. Goldie Hawn is in the sweet daddy's camp. Uh, here's what Goldie Hawn said. She said, there was a time when, you know, there was a lot of UFO sightings. I remember so clearly, I went outside my door and I sat on a little edge and I looked up at the dark sky and I saw all these stars and all I could think of was, how far does this go? How little are we? Are we the only planet in this whole wide universe that has life on it? I said, I know you're out there. I know we're not alone. And I would like to meet you one day. Now, hold on. Hold on. The way she's talking to these aliens is not the way you would talk to aliens. If aliens were really just beings, physical beings from some other planet. Because they probably couldn't hear her, right? Because she's not, because physical beings are constrained by physics. The way she's talking to these aliens is the way you would talk to angels or demons who are pure spirit, who are not confined by physical laws. Right? I don't, if, when I'm trying to talk to Ben Davies, well, that's a bad example because I have a microphone sitting right here at my desk. But if I were to talk to Jeremy, who's in Hungary right now, and I said, Jeremy, I know you can hear me. He wouldn't be able to hear me because he's not within the proximity of my physical voice and he doesn't listen to my show. So if I were talking to an angel though, I could say, I know you hear me, and uh, I would have a greater cause to think that the angel could hear me because angels are pure spirit. They're all around. This woman's talking like she's talking to angels or demons. She goes on, she says, I know you're out there. I want to meet you. She invites them in. Then she says later on, I get this high-pitched sound in my ear. It was this high, high frequency. She was taking a nap in her car. She looks out the window, and there's these two or three triangular-shaped heads on little bodies. They were silver in color, slash for a mouth, tiny little nose, no ears. They were pointing at me, pointing at me in the car as if they were discussing me like I was a subject. And they were droning. I was paralyzed. And I thought, oh my God, I want to get up. I didn't know if it was real or not real. And then she burst out of the state of paralysis. 
Instead, it was like bursting out of a force field. So there are two things that this could be, and they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. What this could be, at a physical explanation, is that it could be sleep paralysis, which maybe you've had. I've had sleep paralysis, where you wake up, but you can't move. You're still kind of asleep, but you're, you're, you think you're awake, and you have hallucinations. I've only experienced this, I don't know, a couple, two or three times maybe, but you, you can sometimes hear something. I've never visually hallucinated, but I've heard things in the state of sleep paralysis. And then it's kind of scary. And then you kind of snap out of it and you can move again. And uh, it's fine. There's a spiritual answer here too, which is it could be that she was just looking at demons. They sound a lot like demons. And they kind of talk, her experience of it sounds like how everyone's described demons for all of human history. So it could be that too. Either way though, not a lot of strong evidence that it's aliens. And either way, not, not the sort of thing that you want to invite. Your move, Mr. Walsh. Okay, today's Woke Wednesday. The rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, Canada, WLAS, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.